Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. Our first exercise here in the Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Squat. This is the granddaddy of all of them, guys. One that we use at all levels of our training with a vast array of athletes. A couple big tips. I like to use a, something for our hands to support it. Make sure that strap is completely taut to the top. Don't leave it short. Don't leave it long. What I really like the most about it, guys, the iso-inertial wheel, we're going to use this with other squats as well. The other squats are working to depth. These, we're going to get to an athletic position and work our way up. Push hard and make sure you're fighting to hit that breaking force. As we cut reps, we usually cut depth as well to make it a little bit more transferable to what we do. This is an awesome exercise that I can't recommend enough. Throw it in your training. It's going to be great for you and your athlete. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you can find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over 100 different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Jay, hey, what's up, you? brother? How you doing? Dude, I don't, I don't know how I feel about you without a full beard. Bro, I don't know about how I feel about myself. <laughs> Man, you absolutely killed that coaches versus uh, the uh, COVID-19 the other day as well. Thanks, man. Oh, did I lose you for a second? There you go. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, loved that coaches versus COVID-19 the other day that you were moderating, too. That was big Thanks, time. Thanks, man. Um, I really can't take any credit for it. That was all Matt and Ben and Drake. They just asked for me to come on and ramble a little bit and decide different <laughs> questions. Um, but it was fun, man. It was really cool because, like, there was a lot of um, – I learned a lot this weekend. I actually recorded on My Thoughts Monday about it, you know, when it yep. comes to people about presentations. And, you know, like I, with CBASP, I get kind of selfish in how I look at things. But I think that what we saw a lot of on social media this weekend was – the absolute overpowering love of confirmation bias in a presentation. Like I could tell you probably could have told you a third to at least half of what people were going to say as soon as they put in COVID-19, just because of what I knew about their program. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. Where, you know, it, to be honest, I, I thought sleeves, and I, I mentioned sleeve, and I mentioned Renegan in the talk. I thought their talks were freaking killer because, like, Gildersleeve made me reevaluate things. 
you know? Yeah, like, same here. Like, I think that's important. Like, like it's cool that it'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, Cam just jumped on. Cam gives a talk. And it's like, dude, I do a lot of stuff like that guy. That's really cool. But, like, the people that ask, that make you ask questions about what you're doing, to me, that's a good presentation. But. Yeah, I agree. Like Matt, a lot of his stuff. When I uh, when I was watching his, I was like, man, I think we need to go back to some more of these like true progression oriented things. Especially when he said he revisits those every year. That's something that I'd gotten away from a little bit because I think I fell too far on the end of that like ecological systems of like, oh, they learn best on their own. Versus no, like there's definitely like I agree with his laws, but I don't think I spent enough time coaching those things. Um, even though our programs are probably as similar as about anyone's and that's something that Matt and I have talked about, but there were still so many things that challenged what I do and I really enjoyed. Um, and I loved Eric's one because I'm a diehard blues fan and two, because it's just a really good talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that with any of us that collect any data at, at all, and look at any numbers, when you look at how someone else breaks it down and even like how in depth he breaks that stuff down. Yes. You take a step back and you're kind of like, uh, <laughs> which uh, like uh lachlan wilmot had a post on it a while back and it was like don't think like performance coaches are valuable question mark and it was something along the lines of like just look at the the money cost of games lost for a professional athlete so for like a guy like eric when uh the star player of the nhl team misses games you're talking about millions of dollars that cost key stakeholders versus the ability to keep guys healthy and fresh you win a Stanley Cup, think about all the extra revenue that that brings you throughout a calendar year. Um, that's immense value. Oh, yeah. And that's like the coolest thing ever. Like, you won the Stanley Cup. Yes. <laughs> like, that's just like, like everything else aside, it's like, somebody said something, I don't remember who I was talking with, but they were like, yeah, but something, I'm like, uh, he he won the Stanley Cup. They were the worst team in the league, and then they won the Stanley Cup in the same year. They did something right. Maybe you should listen to what he has to say. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm definitely guilty of that too, because you hear some things. You're like, oh well, you know. There's like parts of everything are somewhat truthful. Like, yeah, you might think, oh, that that doesn't work, but you can take something away from it. Like Coach Doyle who's like one of my biggest mentors, obviously always said like everybody's teaching, like even the guy who does stuff terrible and you completely disagree with, you can learn something via like, Oh, I just don't want to do that. And here's why uh, there's something valuable in every single talk that you hear. It's just a matter of if it's something you're going to implement or something that you're never going to implement and understanding further why you believe that. No doubt. Well, listen, man, while you're rolling around here doing whatever. I do my best work in the car. I got, I got two, young children at home so i'm about to make a pit stop here and i was just running some some 400 so i'm absolutely sweating my balls off right now but <laughs> <laughs> but that's good though man we got some weather get outside you know that's good but listen dude the, you know the one thing that people talked about and it's like 80 percent of the questions and comments that were in that box they want to talk about morphocycles and even more so how you got that across your head coaches yeah, so, you know, uh, I guess everyone is, if, if they're asking about it, they've probably seen either that Simply Faster article 
or uh, the Strength Coach webinar, which I'll give a plug to Kier and you guys. If you aren't a Strength Coach Network webinar uh, or Strength Coach ne uh, Network member, you definitely need to be, especially right now with this much time on your hands. And Kier just invested some money revamping that site, and it looks clean as hell. Um, but so the original premise was, you know, uh, what is the two – like – reverse engineering sport what's the most important thing on saturday for football specifically or anything it's always the game that's number one so i think as soon as you start working backwards from there um and stolen from brad deweese is that kind of energy envelope theory like you have 100 bucks if you spend 90 bucks throughout the week trying to get tougher grit and maximize our performance on game day, I think you're really missing the boat, especially nowadays when so much of the work from a physical standpoint is done throughout the off season. Like back in the day, it's like, oh, versus right now, everything, did I just cut out there on you? Just for a second, yeah. Sure, okay, okay. Um, yep. Roll but everything is really geared. Yeah. Everything was geared towards then like, Oh, we got to get these guys physically fit. And so much of it just stayed that way. It's like, Oh, we need two a days. We got to grind these guys, this and that. When the reality of the situation is if you have a long-term plan in place, the physical qualities should be there. And all you are trying to do is hopefully further improve those or retain those. But this, the emphasis switches to definitely the technical and tactical realm. Um, so the more you focus on that, if you're working backwards on Saturday, you should be the freshest team and the most tactically prepared team. And if you know anything about um, just learning, like old school education, where do you learn best? When you're really fatigued or when it's a learning environment at like an extensive tempo? Um, so if you're trying to structure your week and it's like, oh, why don't they get this? Why don't they get this? And so much of coaching is yelling at a guy to do something like, oh, hey, you have that guy. You have that guy, like close out on him um, or like choose your, whatever it may be, basketball, football. So much of it when you watch coaching is they're coaching the guy. Then you go back and watch film and you're like, oh, good job here. When in reality, you were yelling at that guy before the play what to do and he actually didn't get better from it. So if you can slow things down and learn, I think the team that knows what they're doing and is really fresh wins if they're equal skill. So the only thing you can control once you get to the season is them being fresh, them being tactically prepared. You cannot just all of a sudden make your team a better physical team. You can do that the next year by recruiting better guys, developing guys. Um, so I think so many people just get it confused that you're every single week you're getting better physically this or that like the team who's better physically at the end of the year is the team that has a good structure week to week um and i think every head coach their primary goal is to win games that's what their job is attached to so as soon as you can get the coach to understand all i'm doing is providing a resource like my job is not attached to wins and losses of your team i am just trying to help you understand this side of things to add value to you and your team versus so many people want to like bark orders at guys of, oh, this is what you have to do if you don't, and you're an idiot, versus just understanding that it's a, a value to them. And if they don't do it, don't be offended by it. Like you need to sell your message a little bit better, 
to where they understand it and they understand that it's you with their best interest and heart. And everyone at this point is so like, if you're into the GPS, HRV, whatever it is you're doing, everyone wants to do less. Like, oh, they did too much yesterday. What about on a high day? Like, hey, we need to do more high speed distance today. They didn't hit high enough max velocities. So I think you need to also give to them what they want, but then take away the things and, and make them understand kind of a sequence that works best. And I think as soon as you do that, like if throughout your off season, your players feel really good in a true high, low kind of model, and they can report to the coaches like, coach, we do as much sprinting as you guys do in season, except I feel really good every day. I don't feel like shit day in, day out. Your players can be your greatest weapon too for trying to sell some things because the coaches aren't going through the physical things. So it's really easy. And a lot of, especially in football, which here I, I don't have that, but in a lot of cases, your head coach is a quarterback. And what does a quarterback do at practice? He sits there and spends it to the receivers doing all the work. So he's never tired. He's like, oh, let's run more routes, more routes, more routes. Um, so I think depending on your sport, you really just have to sell why it is valuable, number one, um, which I kind of went off on a tangent there on that aspect. But within the morpho cycle, it's really just structuring your, your game day is your most important day working backwards from there and understanding people forget that the game day is a training day in and of itself. It's like, Oh, we got to have a big practice. Well, your biggest day in theory should be game day. That still counts as training. It was still physical. You're still hitting high velocities, high workloads in basketball, whatever it may be at the highest intensity. And really what causes all the fatigue from that is you're in like fight or flight for three plus hours because your arousal levels are so high. Um, so for me, it's working backwards from there. How do we get fresh within that 48 to 72 hours prior to a game? How do we recover in the 48 to 72 hours after a game, fill in the gap in between? Um, and same thing, you're never going to get, in my case, a football coach from Tuesday to Wednesday to not go full speed. Like you can't have true high low. So make it to where it's constrain the space, red zone, short yardage. Basketball, it could be Tuesday is your full court day. Wednesday is a half court day. Um, just changing the scenarios to get the workloads you want based off your volume, intensity, and density. And I think if you use those three terms with every coach, they'll have a better understanding. And if you have a clear bar graph, like I kind of tried to present of, hey, here's a game, here's our intensity, it's really high. Our volume is not as high as you think. Our density is incredibly low. There's a ton of built-in rest. You work, you come over, you make corrections, you sit on your butt, you go back out, you work really, really hard again. So let's make our, our most game-like practice, highest intensity practice, fit that manner. We need high intensity followed by low intensity. And so trying to structure one day like a game, one day working above the demands from a volume and density standpoint, just because reps are what help. Like you need high quality reps. You need enough of them to understand what you're doing. Um, but then like Thursday, Friday, if you have two days before, you need to make sure, like I said, working backwards that you're fresh and then you have a chance to recover to where your Tuesday, Wednesday practices can be really good. But I think people try and do too much every day instead of having one really big day where you get some work done, one one solid day and then taking a plenty of recovery kind of built in there. Um, but the biggest thing too, is if you understand the in season morpho cycle, you as the performance coach can carry that into your off season. Cause I think where most people miss the boat more than the coaches missing it in season is we're not preparing people for the season. 
Like if you have eight hours, you have to be really strategic about how you're fitting in enough work to prepare them for a 20 hour a week in season model. Um, so if your volume is more than doubling and we want to talk about acute chronic workloads, like you can't expect a coach day one to do 50% of a practice. Like they need to be able to get some work done week one, day one. So you really got to build your volume in the off season. Um, and some people are kind of going away from Tim Gabbett stuff, but you need to build a really, really robust chronic load for guys to be safe once they get into an end season. I think that's the biggest impact from our side. Obviously selling the coach, doing things in season is great. That's gonna help you win games, but we have to do our part too. Mm -hmm. No doubt. So what metrics, if any, did you use to really help sell that? Um, so for me, intensity, cause we do have GPS, we're pretty fortunate, um, but we still look at RPE. I like the subjective and I think that actually has more impact cause you and I could do the same work and I might call it a 10, you might call it a five. Um, it really, there's so many factors that go into it, not even just the physical side. Um, but for me, intensity is high speed distance. That's your biggest factor of like soft tissue injuries, things like that. Like if guys are sprinting above 90% and truly an individualized 90%, not some like standard 16 miles per hour for everybody. Um, I think that's a great indicator. And then um, what we, because we have player tech, they call it power plays, just your really aggressive change of direction. Things that are going to have a high structural cost, I consider your intensity metric. So that's that bar. Our volume, we look at anything greater than three miles per hour. So a lot of people will just use total distance, but my 85-year-old grandparents can walk around and feel fine the next day. So I'm not worried about their walking distance, but anything to where they're actually moving around, it's a jog, it's a run, it's a sprint, we'll measure it. That would be a good indicator of volume. Um, and then just total time on feet is a good one because that's the easiest way to manipulate volume. Um, but so our volume is greater than three miles per hour. Our intensity is high speed distance in the power plays. And then our density is just work per minute. So if they're high work rate, high amount of yards per minute, it's a high density practice. And so trying to mirror up those things kind of day to day based off the quality that we want. And I think if you have a goal in mind for each day, it's really, really easy. And I think a, a, one way to paint the picture is, you know, for us, at least in my opinion, there's never gonna be a day where the focus is, we're gonna have a great mobility session. That's a huge focus. We're gonna spend 20 minutes on that. We're gonna have a huge focus on plyometrics, on speed, go into the weight room, ton of unilateral stuff, ton of bilateral stuff, upper body, go back outside, focus on conditioning. Like you need to have a singular focus for the day. And it's the same thing in practice. Like, what do you want to accomplish today? We want to be as fast as possible, work on the physical side. We want to be as technical or tactical as possible, work on that side, like have a concept and get better at those things. Like that kind of essentialism by Greg McCune, where it's your son, you have, if you're going every direction, you're really going nowhere versus a straight line stacked on top of each other, trying to go in, in one kind of unified direction. Can't ride two horses with one ass, right? Damn right. <laughs> so then when you're communicating that stuff, I mean, obviously strength coaches and people that do what we do in, in any sort of, you know, the performance realm, like even PTs and ATCs would understand intensity, volume and density. Were any of those harder to get across to the coaching staff? Uh, no, because so what I did for them is I added one column, which was intent of velocity, because as soon as they hear intensity, 
is half of what a game is. They're like, whoa, 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 we can't be going 50% out there. Like, that's not going to fly. Like, no, we're going maximal intent of velocity. They're running as fast as they can. Our intensity will be cut in half because we're logical and we constrain the space and have a different focus. Third and one versus first and 15, if you repeat that 10 times, there's a huge compounding interest of the distance covered. Um, so I think having a clear definition, which is very easy when you have clear variables from say GPS, um, but having a clear definition of what you mean by intensity, what you mean by volume, what you mean by density, getting them to understand that. And then if you can show a game, and I think the biggest thing is everyone gets GPS and day one, they wanna implement some new system. Just get your data, collect it, understand what their system is, how it works, and then try and bridge the gap and help them not come in and just change the entire curriculum, so to speak. Like understand what they wanna accomplish. What does a game look like within their system? How do you make sure that they're replicating that within practice and build a good weekly model? How much do these, do these numbers you think change year to year with the guys? Um, so really, hopefully they're building a higher speed reserve and our intensities can continue to go up. Um, from a volume standpoint, you're always going to be pretty limited by just, if, if you're on the field for an hour and a half, you're on the field for an hour 45. If your density is in the right place, there's only so much work that can be done. Um, so generally you're running around the same amount of plays, but hopefully in a good college program, your guys are getting faster, they're getting more explosive, um, things like that to where your intensity markers will go up. Like for us, and this is something that I talked to, who was I talking to about this the other day? I think Joel Reinhardt and uh, Ryan Grubbs at Liberty in two separate conversations, like year one, what we did in the off season from a sprint volume standpoint versus now, and we're definitely quality over quantity, especially in our alactic stuff. But we were two high days because if we tried a third day, guys would just blow up. Like they could not handle the sprint volume that we wanted to them to be able to handle. But now year three, we're three high days and we're probably higher days than we had year one with two days. Um, so I think year to year, you're definitely trying to grow um, and you're trying to make those guys more resilient. And the more that they can handle, the more that you can give them, obviously. Um, but at some point that has a level of diminishing returns as well. Yeah. So those, those numbers too, are those, do those change when you go pads, bottoms? Full? Yeah. So we have like kind of a um, extra or like a daily intensity classification. So like on a high day, or let's, let's use the opposite. It'd be easier on a low day. We're never in full pads. Like if you're flying around colliding on a low day, you're definitely missing the boat. Um, we have certain time domains of what we'd consider a low day. Like, again, if you're out there for two hours, probably not low, no matter what you're doing. Um, high speed distance, we'll try and classify it by intensity, but what we've done, um, and hopefully can implement is just collect a lot of data. Hey, a seven on seven for a uh, defensive back is X amount of high speed yards, X amount of volume, because we're always going to work in like four minute periods. So if I can get the script from our coaches, build it out, I can probably predict with some certainty what practice loads are actually going to be before we go out to practice, just because it's pretty consistent period to period, kind of what you're going to get. Um, and that allows you to script things a little bit better, I think, and kind of be 
a little bit more preactive rather than just, oh, shit, like we did a lot yesterday. Let's cut back today. Like, no, I don't think this is enough today. Let's try and bump up or this might be a little bit too much for this position group. Let's bump down, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and you kind of started getting into that where I was going next. And it's like, how do these high and low days vary? Because your receivers and your DBs, it's going to be totally different than the big uglies. For sure. And, and that's the thing that's really hard to quantify is, and, and that's one thing that we've talked to some of our players about. So for us, it was Thursday. We were really, really a pretty low day. But our linemen, just from conversations, because we don't have GPS on them, they're not – what they get tired from is not distance covered. It's right. contact with other human beings. And uh, one of our, our fifth-year seniors was like, Coach, I feel like shit. And this is after a Thursday. And I was like, why? You didn't, you didn't hardly do anything. Like, he's like, I had to get in my stance 80 to 100 times. Like, I'm sitting there in the stance while they're making checks, stuff like that. So I was like, oh, easy way to limit the work that our linemen do on a Thursday – is if we have like say our couple full speed periods get in your stance if we're doing a walkthrough why do we have these dudes holding quarter squat positions for 15 to 30 seconds over and over when it doesn't serve any purpose on that day um so i think a lot of things can just stem back to having conversations with guys too yeah no i, I think that that would depending on your system be interesting to look at with basketball too yeah and you know because so many people have a, a walk through or things like that. And really we end up asking guys to do so much more than we think they're doing on a lot of those days. Um, Cause every coach's worst fear, including performance coaches is guys in their free time. What are they doing? Are they doing the right thing? So you you try and micromanage time a lot of the times and it turns into you just adding more stress to their cup and them overflowing by game time. No doubt. And I think, um, and I think Oh, go ahead. No, you fire, fire. Go. Well, I was just – so the biggest thing for me has been from uh, – we just collect daily wellness questionnaires and look at guys' freshness scores. And I think if you can give those to a head coach, hey, 10 out of 10 being, oh, I feel phenomenal. On game day, if I'm the head coach, I certainly don't want anything less than an 8. I, I definitely want guys feeling good, buzzing a little bit on game day. If you got guys putting five and a half, six, sevens – team-wide, I think you can really get a head coach kind of bought in from that. Like, hey, these guys feel terrible as a team on game day. Is that the stimulus you want? Or would you like these guys to actually feel good? And this is not me talking. This is their data, how they feel. Um, so I think stuff like that can be very valuable as well. Well, I think that you brought up another thing earlier that is really important. And it, it was kind of like two points, right? The first point was a lot of people look at tech no matter what it is, and they think that it's all about pulling away. But you saying now, like your first year, you could hit two high days and the third would fry them. But now they're good on a third high day means that the tech has maybe made you take a step back to take two steps forward. Yep. And really at that point, we didn't even have GPS. That for me was just subjective and having conversations with guys. Like the third day, when we went out there, if you're going out to the field at a good time, not 6 a.m., like if you're working out at 6 a.m., there's going to be some guys that look like shit. That's why we try and avoid that at all costs. Um, but if you go out there at 10 o'clock and guys are dragging ass and not super engaged, you don't want to go full Tony Holler necessarily and just cancel everything. Like you have to be able to work under days you feel like shit sometimes. But 
definitely, you don't want to be doing high speed sprinting, things of that nature on a day where guys feel fried. And if it's week after week, they feel like shit, your loading's probably a little bit off. And I think our first year, we just definitely, you know, and, and you have to look at the level athlete, like no offense to the athletes we work with or athletes anywhere. An NFL athlete at a certain point can handle a lot higher workloads than a division three athlete. And sometimes it might be vice versa, because if an NFL athlete is truly maxed out of his potential, a high workload day for him is going to have a higher cost than the guy who's really far from his potential. Um, so it's kind of a bell curve aspect. But if you have sophomore, junior, seniors in college, each year they should be able to handle more work um, up, up to a very, very fine line of like your 1% of kids who are truly at that genetic potential. Oh, yeah. And I think that the other thing, too, is understanding that they can handle more work, but understanding that more work at those higher intensities is going to have a greater metabolic cost is mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. And like for us, we've, we've spaced things out to where if we have this summer, hopefully we do, um, you know, it'd be kind of Monday's a high day for us. Wednesday's a high day for us. Thursday would actually be our off day. Uh, Friday, we'd have like a little micro dose speed to get them humming for Saturday. So we spaced it out over the week versus week one, we were five days. We just went too high Tuesday, Friday. Last year, we bumped up to three Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but the intensities weren't as great as we'd like them to be this year. Um, so we spaced things out a little bit more to account for recovery as well. Awesome question here from, from Foreman. The wellness scores on game day ever experienced guys psyching themselves out if the score is too low? Uh, I don't think so because internally they're going to know how they feel that day regardless. I'm just asking them to, to put it into a number form. But no matter what, if guys feel like shit on game day, they're probably psyched out already. Um, so me being able to know I think would only help. I do think in the past I've had guys – uh, where we've done like HRV stuff like that on game days. And I think guys can get psyched out by it to an extent, like, Oh, it says my score's down. Like I can't do well today. Um, but I think if it becomes like a daily, if you do it every single day, you know, like, Hey, there's been a training day where I have a shitty, shitty score and I go out and I can, I can still perform really well. Um, so I think if it's a really routine task, I don't think anyone gets psyched out by it. Yeah. No, I, I could see that. I could see both sides, but I could definitely see that. It's... And if it becomes a stressor, I definitely don't think it's worth it. Like people, same thing. And that's one thing I hit on that, that webinar was so many people say in football, you play on Saturday, you come in on Sunday and it's mandatory foam roll, mobility, this and that. And it's like, this is the best thing for them. Well, is it like if it's just stress for them to come in and, and do that stuff versus if them sitting at home playing video games, hanging out with their family is a better stimulus for them and they feel great doing it. They're in a parasympathetic state. That to me is better than getting them ramped up and pissed off to come in and foam roll. Now, if a guy believes foam rolling is helping him, RPR, whatever it may be, great definitely do it i think it will help you more but whatever they think is going to help them the most on that day i think is the most important thing mm -hmm. and i think that uh, all too often we try to square peg a lot around holes when it comes to things like that yeah a lot of force-fed stuff from the coaches versus i think the person that knows their body the best is always going to be the athlete but that does take some level of trust and giving them autonomy and and for us that would definitely be a tiered approach like you get a brand new freshman week one 
probably not the best time for autonomy. You want them to learn kind of how things operate, um, still giving them some autonomy for sure. You want them to learn to lead and, and learn to control their bodies and things of that nature. But the further a guy gets along, the more you should be able to trust a guy and let him do his thing, you know, especially yeah. in a sport like you with basketball, you get to know those guys well enough that it's like, Hey, I know this guy needs that. And so much, if you're force feeding nine guys, if you're telling me 10 guys, whatever it is, you can't have a good enough relationship to know what they need. Um, I think you're probably missing the boat pretty hard there. Yeah, no doubt. And this is a good one too. You know, how do you gauge what's best for them individually? Just provide options. Ah, yeah. So for us, like in season, I mean, I was a complete weight room hardo in in college. Obviously, like most strength coaches, I thought cleans, back squats were was making me a great player. We lifted heavy on Sunday after games. I've never drank day after a game. Like my friends would come in absolutely feeling like trash. I would still feel like trash, no matter if I went home and slept for 10 hours. And the last thing I ever wanted to do as a lineman with my wrist hurting, shoulders hurting, body hurting is squat or clean the day after, even two days after. It didn't matter. Like you just feel terrible. So for me as a coach, if I felt like shit doing it and I'm one of the 1% that really loves this stuff, why am I going to ask my athletes to do it? So for us in season, especially with our advanced guys, I just like menu options. Like, hey, we're going to have a knee dominant push here. Pick what you want. You know, here's your percentages. Here's your buffet style options. Uh, same thing for a ground based explosive. Uh, whatever you feel good about and I know is going to create some sort of response, go for it. You know, if, if they think it's helping them too, it's probably helping them more than if I think it's helping them. <laughs> Can confirm lifting Hardo in college. Uh... <laughs> No, so I, I, I'll piggyback that a little bit too. I think that that autonomy and that reflection is earned. And I think that especially like, cause our situation is different with basketball, right? Cause it's like game day plus one, half the time is an off day. Yep. Um, but then figuring out that they, they have to understand what is being asked of them on the court. And that's probably what they have the hardest time figuring out. And then they have to figure out like what their options actually are. And they, they have to be exposed to them. And that's when I think like taking the young kids and building them, like even if we're just talking like simple recovery means, like teaching them how to roll out with a tennis ball and how to roll yep. out with a roller and like how to stretch with a band. And like, here's how you stretch. Like if you need to get stretched and then like, this is stem and this is what this can do and here's the cold tub it sucks get into your neck because it's important <laughs> um this is contrast and so and you know and then if you're any good here's your massage therapist you know you gotta mm -hmm. earn that and i think that them going through that and understanding what it is um and where it fits with them like is important. And I think that you saying like, it can't be a stressor. It's really funny. Like we had one kid stud, like absolute gunner when it comes to scoring the ball for his first three years in college would rather be on fire than thrown in the cold tub. <laughs> long story, my fault, but long story that we'll talk about one day over sodas. It's actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but was having like chin and knee problems and 
Adam and I, my sports med guy, and I both looked at him and go, you know what's the best thing probably for you? And he looked at us and just went, fine, you know, forget it. I'll just get in. And he did it. And he hated every second of it. He came in the next day and he was like, dude, I feel great. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So now he does it before every game and it's not a stress anymore. You know, like yeah. how you interpret it going into it is completely different than how you may interpret it coming out of it. Yep. Um, and I think you made a great point too, though, because like for us, if you get a foundational like freshman athlete, the most important thing is educating them on what you're doing, why you're doing it, to where they can kind of take the reins and understand. Okay, this is this is what the goal of it is. This is how I can do it now. What best fits me, um, and build some autonomy in it. But if they don't know why they're doing it, if they don't know what all the options are, it's really hard for them to have any autonomy. And it's so much of coaching is really military based like these d3 hardos where it's you know we have to everything is on a cadence there's no like freedom there's no explaining necessarily why we do it it's just hey when i hit the whistle you do this listen to me versus really trying to educate athletes like that's really the most important part of that first foundational program for us is understanding kind of why you're doing those things because uh, I think that just gets you a lot more bang for your buck as you grow step to step. Yeah, and it's going to help. It's going to help you coach better because when they understand that, they take the guesswork out of it. I mean, that's really it. Like, they yeah. know. It, it makes it so much easier. Like, oh, well, I think we should do this. Yeah, you know, like, uh, Maybe that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I think we, everyone gets so married to like certain exercises when in reality and whether you argue any exercise, every coach argues about it, obviously me included, but as long as you're hitting the quality that you want, Hey, are we trying to improve their explosiveness? If they have 30 options and they can pick from one and that is the target you're trying to elicit, or the quality you're trying to elicit, and you have it in your exercise menu, why can't they choose it? You know, why does it have to be the certain one? Um, especially in season, when like we've talked about in the, the morpho cycle stuff, the most important thing is that they feel good on game day. So give them things that are going to allow them to continue improving physically that make them feel the best, um, essentially at the lowest cost, you know? Yeah, another question. I'm interested to hear your answer to this one because I, I have an answer to this one too. Do you find it harder to program and record with the buffet style of exercises? No, um, just because if we li we'll list them all on the lift card, and sometimes too another strategy we've used is say we print a uh, four week block, we might have a speed day more of you know if you're going vertical integration one day that's more of a strength focus. Um, this or that and we'll list four options and it's hey you have four weeks one of these weeks has to be a strength focus when you feel best hit it one of these has to be speed strength strength speed whatever it may be and you pick the the sequence which week you want to hit other times it might be hey we'll list five options and it'll say a1 option a a1 option b a1 option c and we'll just list them all so our lift card looks incredibly long but really it's still, hey, we circle what they did. They write in what they did, the weight, whatever it may be. 
whether it's us recording it or them, I think you can still record it just as easily. It just takes a little bit more work on the front end, or you could do on the back side of your card, a true options layout and just have them turn around and circle what they did each week. How about you? Yeah. I, I think it's easier. Um, yeah. I, because I mean, like my programming was so simple when it comes to that stuff that it's, that they can take care of it. It's just like, all right. So it's, you know, we're doing some sort of a lunge variation or a squat. And it's like, okay, what, what can you do? Okay. Well, you want to do that. All right. Well, are you good at that? Should we load that? No, probably not. Okay. What's the one below it? This. Okay. Are you good at that? Yeah. Can you load that? Yeah. Okay. Do that. All right. You know, it's like, I, and I think that maybe it's just basketball players, like in general, I think kind of understand. They understand their limitations in the weight room because they're so big. So they want to make sure that they're doing things right. So if you just talk to them about just doing it right, they figure things out easier. And then it's as simple as, well, are you getting stuck? Yeah. Can you go up? No. All right. Is it just that or is it more than one thing? Well, it's more than one thing. All right. Well, then let's cut the volume up the intensity and see how we do. If it's just that, just change that and we'll keep going. Oh, well, what do you think about this? Is it the same type of thing? Yeah. Well, then go fucking do that. Who cares? Like, I think that we, we, we sit here and we want to be like, and don't get me wrong. It's not just like, oh, yeah, pick a card, any card. It's like, do you understand the pattern? Do you understand the program? And do you understand the principles? And if they understand those three, it's easy. Like, if you've taught them what, where they should progress, they understand that and they can move through things and, and they're the best indicator for you. Um, and, and the next one is how do you prescribe loads for the menu? I think if you can progress exercises simply, the load progression takes care of itself. Yeah. That's just me. I mean, and you could have a standard. It's easiest if you have velocity-based stuff. You just pick, hey, the quality we want, set it. They hit whatever weight that gets them to that velocity zone, obviously. That's that's an easy method. Um, but if not, you can go RPE. You can go percentage-based. It really doesn't matter. You could have a set load for the week and – the guys you really trust say they feel like shit. Okay, we'll back down. Next week, you feel good? Let's bump it up. I think it can be a lot more fluid than than most people think. And like Eric Quorum and those guys, when they were at Kentucky, did some research on like just auto-regulated group versus a group that followed a sequence of just straight percentage-based periodization. And that auto-regulated group had way better success. Obviously, you have to trust guys. Um, but in a perfect world, that's how everybody should be training is really based on, I know that's how I like training myself is, oh, if I feel good, I'll, I'll push it. If I feel like shit, I'll back off. Uh, Dan Gable, the legend Iowa wrestling coach was always go as hard as you can do everything you need to do to recover to where you can go as hard as you can. Again, if you just pound yourself into the dirt day after day, you're never really going to feel that good. Yeah. I I know. I think that it's as simple as that sounds, though, it's really complicated. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, I think it comes down to them understanding, too, that, like, 
there are days where your readings or your numbers or your feelings might be off, but then you have a good warm up and you start to feel good and things change too, you know, like, I think the whole idea of feeling it out isn't just a walk in the room and how you feel at that moment. I think it's your first lift or your first jump or your first run could feel different than your third or your fifth or your 10th. Yep. And if by the 10th one you're good, then maybe you are pushing it there, you know, like. And same thing as uh, like with a sport coach, like, some days you want him to do more, some days less. Same thing with an athlete. If it's an athlete that every single week says he feels like shit, maybe there's some lifestyle choices you need to improve, and it's, hey, you're going to hit this shit no matter what. Like, we got some work to do. Like, it can't always be less, less, less. Um, but in a well-structured program, if you really trust the guy, there's definitely times where it's definitely not the end of the world. It's probably a huge positive to just listen to them and make some corrections. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely the line that needs to be drawn between – making alterations in positively reinforcing negative decisions. Yes. <laughs> you know? But even though, like, if those aren't commonplace, even those are at times things that you should take into consideration. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we all went to college, man. There was a, what filter is Nick using? It's called the sun. Um, <laughs> um, it's called a bald head and the sun deadly yeah, combo like, we all went to college we all know what it's like and if there's like if they're good more often than not and they come in after a rough day like you know you can read them right act a little bit or you can tell them like yo come on this isn't we know better Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, you know? Yep. And that's, I mean, if you don't really, like, uh, the Lencioni book, uh, Five Dysfunction of a Team, I feel like almost everybody has that absence of trust. Like, if you just understand, if your players are terrified to tell you what they're doing, as a college kid, you know kids are probably going to make some poor decisions. But if you can reinforce good habits and do less of that, uh, that would be a huge step in the right direction versus just ignoring it, acting like it doesn't happen. Punishing kids versus just having true conversations with guys can go a long way. Yeah. I mean, it, listen, it's not like it's something you want to hear, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's not like, it's not like you're sitting here and you're like waiting for them to brag about it, but like, I would rather know that they're doing bad things so that I can make a change to something as opposed to taking somebody out and it's 95 or 100 in Virginia and we're doing whatever conditioning we're doing. And, you know, like there are times you need to accommodate to it. Yep. What's your game plan coming back from a long break? We actually met about that today. Um, and the answer is we have no clue because we don't know when the break is going to end. Yes. Um, and I mean, and the reality of things is just be smart, like use your brain, no matter what, if it has to be a thought out progression. Um, and it's way different than times in the past. Like Kier had the post yesterday of the, uh, 2011 lockout, 240% increase in injuries. Um, and at the NFL level, 
it's really something they deal with every year. You know, there's, you have three months basically where it's optional team activities and your best guys are away training by themselves or older guys where you just have to trust that they're doing something. And the reality is a lot of them might not be. So when you come in, it can't be geared towards what are my best 5% of the athletes doing. It's got to be, Hey, what is the, the group, the nucleus of the team been doing and kind of work from there. Yeah. You got to kind of work on your outliers, both positive and negative. Uh, I think Sparta is actually doing a talk about that tonight at five Eastern. Okay. Um, Mark is going to be on it. Um, Stevenson, he spoke last year at the seminar. Yep. And then a, a couple MDs and then a couple people that work like one person that's with like USA lacrosse um, talking about, ideas and stuff of that nature i think what's going to be the real interesting part and we've started working on it a little bit is what is your return to that programming like while at home and what qualities do you think you need to start to build them to be resistant to initially upon their return because i think that i think that we can learn a lot about the role of this non-competitive season over the next 12 months. And this is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. so much of it is you just have to be really smart with, with what you're doing. And I would definitely say the only suggestion I would make is day one, you do not do a pass fail conditioning test. I would say that's the worst possible idea the only worst possible option would be to test it the next day if someone failed and just keep doing that over and over. <laughs> Funny story, actually. I was talking to Kier about it yesterday. We did that in 2014 when I was in camp with the Ravens. There was a conditioning test. If you failed, you did it the night. And, like, everyone remember. well, most people who like football would remember, like, Albert Hainsworth failed it like 11 days in a row you got this 350 pound dude doing 300 yard shuttles expecting improvement day to day which is just stupid as hell but the rookies tested the day after the vets and there was a guy repeating the test tears his achilles on the second rep of 150 yard shuttles which really dumb test for a football athlete anyway much less day two 34 year old man who failed it the day prior like what are you expecting tears his achilles you pay him a million dollars for that year that's completely sunk cost because you're just being an idiot like yeah. be reasonable about what you're asking people to do yeah that's kind of rough man. <laughs> kind of rough. but nah dude i appreciate the time it's good to see you bro glad that you see you're doing well and uh hopefully all this calms down here and sooner than people are talking about and we can all sit and hang out in july but uh sure hope so <laughs> but well all right jay appreciate it yeah bro cheers buddy good to see you appreciate your time we'll be in touch yep have a good one jay yeah man later